The Harry Cory Summer Sale is now on with massive savings and fantastic ideas to transform your home for less. Visit us in store or online at harrycory.com. Harry Cory, the curtain and bedding specialist. The summer sale is now on. On this episode of Laughter Unlocked, we are going to have to go on our best behaviour, David, because we've got a, a senior policeman with us. We've got um, Chief Mickelson from Scott Squad, aka Jack Doherty. Jack? Yes, hello. Who, who do you want? Me. Do you want him? Do you want Mickelson speaking? Stand down. Or do you want you know, at me? At, look at the difference. Look at the difference in my acting ability, Simon. <laughs> What? Nicholson and me. I, I feel as though, <laughs> excuse me, I feel as though I really do have to be on my best behaviour because, mm. you know, he, he strikes me as a kind of cop who who doesn't suffer fools gladly. And if I cross the line at all during this conversation, I might be, I might yeah. be getting led away in handcuffs. Yeah, well, the only fool he suffers gladly is himself. <laughs> he, he, is, he, he ignores that kind of fool. I don't think, I don't think he's quite worked out he's a fool yet. I think that's what's, I think that's what's such fun about the character, you know? It goes way back to, I don't know who it was. Somebody said something clever once, and I don't know who it was, who said that um, comedy lies in the gap in a character. Comedy, comedy lies in the gap between who the character thinks he is and who he actually is. Uh-huh. You know, so the so the bigger that gap, you know. <laughs> so Captain Mannering's a fantastic example of that. You know, thinks he's the greatest soldier that ever lived, and it's just a buffoon. <laughs> um, I mean, it works for everybody for David Brent but well, it certainly works for Mickelson because he does believe he's just the finest leader, the, the leader of men that he is you know an inspiration to everyone not just in the force in the country very interesting you say that because I was chatting to on another episode to Al Murray about the, the pub landlord mm. and it's quite similar because yeah. the pub landlord's become a character now who realises the world knows who he is and he realises he's, yeah. he's famous and people want to hear his opinions rather than yeah. just being a guy in the boozer who kind of buttonholes you and tells you yeah. things that, that, that you probably don't want to hear. Yeah, and he's another great character in that, that it becomes what starts as a satire. It almost becomes a rally, you know? Yeah. Um, you go out and, and do it. You know, you, in, in my generation, it was loads of money that really... My Murray and I were doing Friday Night Live as Don and George when Harry started that character and how quickly it became this character that was, you know, it celebrated almost as much as you know I was making the satirical point and yeah. I had that a lot with McGlashan where yeah. people would, the nationalists would be going yeah it's, that's exactly right what that guy's saying you know <laughs> McGlashan <laughs> would, would be coming into his own at the moment with uh, yeah. another independence referendum in Horizon well completely I mean I resurrected him for the Channel 4 show we did a thing called Scotland in a Day I don't know if you saw it which yeah. was a parody of those Life in a Day films um, those, those self-filmed you know days that people do and so I re- resurrected McGlashan for that so if there is another referendum I think yeah I'll have to revisit him one more time well there's going to be one there's going to be one in October 2023 we believe yeah we believe yeah, yeah. well there you go so uh, loads of stuff to talk to you about we've got hopefully a, a good half an hour 40 minutes of Jack Doherty and I'm so excited because um, yeah cool. obviously I've followed your career closely but the last day or two I've been I mean kind of revisiting a lot of the stuff and reminding myself about your early life and I mean absolutely is, is what everybody in of my age yeah thinks about and I think of Jack Doherty clearly there's a whole new generation of, of fans who can relate to Scott Squad yes but um 
it's interesting how all these different chapters in your life appeal to different people. Yeah, it's quite it's quite fun to get you know various things at different times. You know, you're kind of in fashion and you're out of fashion and you're back in, and it's quite interesting now that everything's available. So that, well, I find it through my kids. You know, their friends will will see Scott Squad. But then that will lead them to go down the rabbit hole and then they find absolutely, you know, so it's all available. It was harder when I was young if you really wanted to see, you know, Peter Sellers, some famous Peter Sellers sketch. You know, you couldn't find it unless you bought the album or it was repeated on the radio or something, you know. But now you just got everything at your fingertips. So, you know, if it's if it's solid, it, it survives. And not everything survives, you know, and everything gets dated yeah. at some point. But I think absolutely survived because it was never really topical. It didn't, you know, it could be set any time because it wasn't really touching on Thatcherite politics sure. or major politics or anything like that. So it was just kind of surreal and daft and, and that always survived. It's like Vic and Bob. I could go back to Vic and Bob. And mm-hmm. There's nothing there. That, I mean, they'll be referencing some characters occasionally, you know, who's, you know, you know who's that. But um, I had a lovely image, a lovely image of, of Chief Mickelson attending a Stony Bridge Town Council meeting. Yeah, yeah. And just yeah, well, saying to them, you know, okay, I can see what you're trying to do here, but you have to stick to the rules, you know? Yeah, you know, completely. And he, will, he would just take over. Immediately he would go in. He would go in just on a fact-finding mission and end up getting rid of Brucey. <laughs> and just, you know, I think I know exactly how to run this organisation. Yeah. Turn it around, you know. If you do want to stage the Olympics in Stony Bridge, there are certain things you're going to have to do. That you might <laughs> yeah, well, the Commonwealth Games, actually. Yeah. It's, not so far, it's not so far-fetched. <laughs> Nobody wants to do the fucking Commonwealth Games. <laughs> So I think, you know, well, yeah, they might have to give the, the swimming pool a wee scrub and uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be and, and get the, the, uh, buy another couple of bikes, yeah, in the river. One thing that really, really struck me so I remember the Jack Doherty show on Channel 5, but I was again doing a bit of research and I was looking at some of the names you had on and it was absolutely massive. I mean, David Bowie, that must have been uh, that must yeah. have been quite an exciting time for you, yeah. There's there's nothing quite like I always feel guilty because I often end up sliding into saying that I didn't really enjoy being a chat show host. And I think what I didn't enjoy was doing it every night, which is how we, we started it every night. But actually the joyful thing is meeting all these people, you know, that you were your heroes. You know, so you meet, you know, a couple of pythons are on or, you know, boy, just people that you loved when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. That's what I've discovered doing that job, that you never get over the teenager that's inside you going, he's fucking dead, boy. <laughs> And he knows who I am. Yeah, you know? yeah, but yeah. You know, he goes, oh yeah, I'll be watching the show, Jack. Oh, you know, and it's just so surreal. I mean, what other job would you end up sitting in your dressing room afterwards smoking a pack of cigarettes with David Bowie? You know? Yeah. Both of us in the day. I, w- I don't recommend it, kids, obviously. <laughs> this was, these were different times when we were both on the snacks. But yeah, that was great. It was really it was really good fun meeting all these people. It was also the show that... Um, Gave, probably gave Graham Norton his first big break, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In for you. you know, our big regret is we didn't sign him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got some other company gone. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of people. They also Fred did it. Fred McCauley yeah. did it for a while. I think Phil Jupiter's Melinda Messon, that great American comedian. What was he called? Um, uh, Rich Hall. Yeah, I don't know if you met Rich Hall, but. Um, I think well, the great thing about nightly shows and these kind of the eleven o'clock show was the same. And any, anyone who's done, you know, either a five nightly or a three nightly, it's a huge breeding ground for writers yeah. and new people coming through. Because on 
on my show, it was the first gigs for people like David Mitchell and Robert Webb, mm-hmm. for Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bino, Jesse's coming to do Succession. Yeah. You know, for Kevin Cecil and Andy Riley, who write Veep and a, a million other things. And they were all just out, you know, they were just their, their first gig, some of them yeah. just straight out of uni. So that's, that's, and that, you know, that's where the Americans have got it over us. They've got so many of those kinds of shows. Yeah. You know, every single channel has a late night chat show. And so the, the turnover of writers and the turnover of stand up comedians and people learning their trade on the job. Yeah. You know, that's the joy of it. And so, a great yeah, reading ground. Yeah. Great I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at the list of some of the, the guest presenters. So, yeah, Phil Jupiter, Graham Norton, Fred McCauley, Carol McGiffin, who is obviously a very familiar face in daytime television, Melinda oh, Messenger. Carol McGiffin. Yes, I'd forgotten about Carol. Yeah. Rich Hall and, and Melinda. Tim Vine. Yeah. Tim Vine as well. Tim Vine. There you go. Very young Tim Vine. All of these people's careers. Yeah, absolutely. I made them all. <laughs> but also, even before that, Jack Doherty would have been familiar to people of the, the you know the Edinburgh Fringe goers as well, because you you know obviously to get the big break in television, sure, people had to see what you could do. Yeah, yeah. Well, we started my first hard to believe, but 1980 was my very first festival. So I was 18, and a bunch of mates at my school who were older than me, uh, were setting up, at the, you know, they just fancied doing the festival one time, you know, just to see what it was like. And so they set up this group and then they asked me to join it. They, they all came back to what I was doing, like, you know, the sixth form review thing, you know, just doing sketches at school. And they came back to see it. Actually, I think to try and get themselves a girlfriend, probably actually. Knowing <laughs> <laughs> they came back to, to meet women and instead met me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the second prize. So they asked me to come and join their group. And then the guys that had originally set up the group, we were called the Bodgers. They actually dropped out. They'd done it one year, but we kind of got a taste for it. Me and Murray Hunter and Gordon Kennedy and Pete Bakey. So we kept going. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty slapdash and amateur to begin with. But we were very lucky because we just sold out right from the word go because we were the local boys. Sure. You know? And the Scotsman did an article on us, you know, local lads made good kind of thing. So people turned up. And then as the years went on, we got better, you know. And so by 84 and 85, we were nominated for the Perry Award. Didn't win it, not bitter. Not bitter, sorry. <laughs> that we, <laughs> we lost to a, in 84, we lost to a comedy, a comedy brass band from America, which was, I, I, didn't, I never even saw that show. But in 85, we lost to Theatre de Complicité, right. who went on to be kind of like the major, you know, alternative theatre company in London. Yeah. And I mean, that was fine losing to them. They were incredible. But you were, you were always there or thereabouts. You were, you, were, you were punching, you know, at that point. I mean, you were always yeah, in, in, yeah. Among, the, among the prizes, as it were. Yeah, we were getting there. We were getting there. And it was much, there wasn't really so much stand-up. It was much more, you know, sketch shows and performance pieces. And I don't think there was a single stand-up in the two years that we were nominated. Then by 87, 88, the, the movement was shifting towards much more stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you know the overheads are, are less for us to. Sure, you know when, when there's four of you and props and all that kind of stuff, it gets more expensive. Gordon Kennedy, did I read that, that Gordon and you were at school together? Is that is that we were all me, Gordon, Pete Bakey, and Murray Hunter. So the four Scottish guys in absolutely, we were all at school together. It's hard to believe now, but they were older than me, so they were like five years older than me. Right, and then I just ended up. So they were about twenty three when we did the first show, and I was eighteen. But we just ended up becoming mates. So, and my, my protectors, obviously. <laughs> I got friendly with a bunch of big boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they were all, yeah, all of the, we were all at the same school. Yeah. And you became a writer as well. I mean, you, you some some yes. fabulous credits, programmes like Spitting Image, for example, too. But that would have been maybe the late 80s? Though? Yeah, mid, mid to late 80s. At the point where Spitting Image was pretty much the show. 
You know what I mean? We went back yeah. when I was, yeah. I was in secondary school at that point. Yeah. And it's all we talked about. And, and it, you know, yeah, again, yeah. in those days, what, four channels probably before all the streaming? Where, and the, I yeah. think when we started, there was only three. Yeah. I think Channel 4 still hadn't started when we first started writing Spitting Image yeah. and then Channel 4 kicked in. But you're exactly right. I mean, the viewing figures were crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think at its height, it was like 18 million. Yeah. I mean, just unheard of, like, you know, like the World Cup semi-final, you know, it was like a regular. But when you've only got three channels, that, yeah. that's what happened. So that's what was so exciting. So me and Murray, I was about 20, and we moved down to London, and it just seemed like we were at the epicentre of everything. You know, suddenly we got picked up to do this show, and um, you would go, you would travel into work on a Monday morning to start, you know, writing the sketches for the next week's show, and people on the bus or the tube would be talking about sketches that you'd written. Yeah. You know, and that was really exciting. It was just like, fuck, we've arrived. That's a, proper, a proper buzz, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Or we'd also be doing some live stand live shows as well. And I remember one night we got heckled by somebody using our lines from Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to stop the show and go, listen, man, I'm so, you know, you're going to heckle us, use your own material. <laughs> our lines as, you know. I can't imagine, I can't imagine anything more fun to do than at, the, at that particular... And, and of course, in, in the late 80s or mid-80s, there was a vibrancy yeah. about Britain, wasn't there? And there was yeah, a kind of... It was a, in, in London in particular, and everybody was kind of upbeat. Yeah, and, there was a vibrancy, and there was a divide as well. Yeah. There was a real kind of, you know, Thatcherites in one corner and Red Wedge in the well, other. Exactly. You know, they were quite extreme. Yeah, you know? I mean, you're in the heartbeat of it all. You're sitting in a studio, or not in a studio, you're sitting in a writing room, and probably the most watched satire programme, most, most watched... TV program, arguably at that particular point, and you getting the chance to kind of write these gags and yeah, yeah I mean that's yeah. just living the best life, isn't it? It was brilliant. It was such fun. And again, the writing team was you know me and Murray, and then Ian Hislop, you know who everyone will know from yeah. Lightning News for you and his partner Nick Newman, Rob Grant, and Doug Taylor, who went on to do Red Dwarf. Yeah. They were lead writers, and a guy called Jeff Atkinson, and then John Lloyd was producer, who just produced everything, you know, from Blackadder to Spitting Image to QI. I mean, it's not the nine o'clock news, so he was a bit of a god yeah. to us. Yeah. Um, so we just couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe um, our luck to get involved in this show, and you know something would happen, and you just all sit around, right? Let's go for that, yeah. you know. And and also the shot that it was when we first did the royal family, when we first did the Queen Mother, you know, it was like on the front page of the tabloids, you know, the disgrace. <laughs> How dare they? How dare they um, attack the Queen Mother? You know, and it's like weird to think what you can get away with yeah. now. Oh, come back on. then. And and the only sketch we did with the Queen Mother was just, you know, there'd been a controversy. Oh, they're going to do the Queen Mother. And then we didn't do anything with her throughout the entire show. And then just right at the very end, she just walked across under the credits. Going, oh, I thought I was going to be in the show. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and then instantly everybody loved her. And the thing with the speaking image, I think, was you couldn't change public opinion of someone. You yeah. know, that, that was fixed. You just had to reflect that. Yeah. You couldn't. I remember being at a dinner party once and going, someone go, I wish you'd show Thatcher as weak. And you go, well, that's just not really going to work. Uh, yeah, no, she, was a, she was many things. She was many yeah, things. Many things no, no. That, you know? Young people yeah. listening, um, probably, you know, they, they, they will have obviously heard and read a lot about Thatcher, but living through the Thatcher years. I, yeah. I was watching, um, I, I, I just, you know, digress, but I was, I was watching YouTube, watching um, Elvis Costello and being interviewed about Thatcher. Back in the eighties, uh, and it's just it was just a wee reminder about yes. the absolute. You know, you're talking of the red wedge and then the protest songs. Yeah, the yeah. absolute hatred for her was the rage because he didn't he write "Tramp the Dirt Down" about her. Once she's dead, he's going to 
yeah, Trevor Dirk yeah, down her and grave. Standing so, yeah, grave. And you think you think now people probably say stuff about Boris Johnson like that on Twitter several times yeah. a day, and it doesn't have yeah, the same yeah. shock factor. Yeah, thousands of times. But back in, in the 80s, though, po- you're not poking fun, but you know, or, or saying something as vile, I suppose, or, or as angry about a prime minister yeah. was, it was a real wow. Completely. And the only forum to say it was on mainstream yeah. television. So that's why I think it was a bit more shocking. Now we've just, it's the whole world's just connected. You know, My favourite character was right, uh, yeah, Norman Tebbit as the as the kind of crazy biker and the, you know, with the knuckle dusters and the leather jacket. And yeah, yes, yeah. later. Yeah, he was great. I always loved David Steele. We used to write a lot for David Steele, who was, again, for the younger <laughs> listeners, he was the Liberal Party leader. He had slight ideas about his station and famously once ended a party conference going, go home to your constituencies and prepare for government. <laughs> that's right. And Murray, my writing partner, just did a simple line, which is go home to your constituencies and prepare for a bit of a disappointment. You know, and it's just like, and he complained because he was always shown in David Owen's right, pocket, yeah. who's the social democrat leader. <laughs> and somebody met him once and he complained and he said, because I'm actually taller than David Owen. <laughs> <laughs> I've mean, never seen the satirical point here. Yes, yeah, there was a great, there was a sketch. You appeared to, you appear to be there smaller. There was a sketch, I'm sure the two of them were lying next to each other in bed and, and there was a tiny David Steele and the, and the big uh, David Owen and David Owen was saying to him, yes. go on, say that line again. Say that line. Say the prepare for government line again for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, great, it was a lot of fun. Great, lot of fun. great, great, great oh, me- memories. And also just, it was a satirical show, but also you could just be mad. We used to write a lot of David Coleman, probably, yeah. you know. So you just have, fun with you know the kind of people in the you know celebrities all the yeah. day they didn't have it wasn't all political you could just be it was resurrected know, it was resurrected fairly recently I, I, I just don't know whether it worked again i think as you maybe spit images of its time it was something that 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 was going to be fantastic at that period but trying to yeah. resurrect it for a fresh new audience was always going to be a challenge yeah. wasn't it yeah yeah, I think you need to. Yeah, you just need to find a new way of doing this kind of stuff rather than resurrecting. I, I didn't see anything. I think it was on only. It, was, it wasn't easy to watch. That was also a problem. Uh, yeah, it wasn't easy. To, I couldn't find yeah. it. Um, but yeah, there's something now. It's very high tech, and you can, you know, people can shoot movies on yeah. a phone. You know, there's there was something about the, the physicality of the, you know the clumsiness. Yeah. You know, actually having four people operating Prince Charles. It was a real kind of puppeteering yeah. Um, yeah, masterclass. Yeah. So, but yeah, somebody will come up with with some new way of satirising politicians, I'm sure. Some young, clever person. <laughs> Further reductions in the Harry Corey summer sale with massive savings and fantastic ideas to transform your home for less. Visit us in-store or online at harrycorey.com. Harry Corey, the curtain and bedding specialist. Further items reduced in-store and online. We have to talk about Scott Squad um, because it's yes. I mean, particularly sure. the, the, the chief has just become you know such a hero, such a star to so many people. Um, how did, can, <laughs> yes. for, th- for those who maybe aren't familiar with the kind of the background to it, I mean, how how did all that come about? The idea for the for the chief constable, Chief Mickelson. Well, Chief Mickelson came. He was created. Uh, the, the, the guys at the comedy unit made a pilot. For the show called Scott Squad, and they wanted it to be, you know, a kind of parody of these blue light shows, you know. It's all kicking off in Barking Square and just a good way into a disguised sketch show and a bunch of characters. And so, of course, they needed uh, uh, one of the characters was going to be a police chief. So Joe Hewlett, who created the show, and, and uh, Rab Christian, Odie Davidson, producer and director of the show, pulled together, you know, a bunch of characters and they met other actors and they got them to improvise all the characters that came out. And then they asked, they just offered me 
if I fancied being this character, Mickelson. So you get a brief of who this guy is. Mm-hmm. And then you, we just filmed the pilot and it's a, there's a lot of improvisation involved as well. You get given the rough outline of what the sketch might be. And then you do, and then you start playing around with those and things just come out of the improvisation. I mean, Joe told me recently that the whole BAM thing was something that I improvised, but I can't, I can't remember that. Uh, in my memory, it was already written that he, he always referred to criminals as BAMs, but I just threw it in apparently. So you can never quite know what's going to take off and what you throw out there. And so it's a really joyous show to do because you've got great material there as a safety net, but you can also just go off and do your own thing. And if the producers and directors like it, they'll put that in the show. If they don't, you just cut it. So it's, again, it's very relaxed. There's something you, people would often go, it must be terrifying improvising, but actually I find having lines written down yeah. more worrying because you've got to remember. Yes, I can, uh, yeah, you know I, I mean, can relate to that. And hit your marks and know where you're going. And improvisation, you're just, you're leading it. If you decide you're going to stand up and walk across the room, you're going to do that, and the crew has to follow yeah. you. And you, so you can. There's a, there's a. It's, it's fluid and it's relaxing because it doesn't matter if you get it wrong or it doesn't work. It's just not going to yeah. be used. So it's great. You just, yeah, it's, it's, it's the most fun. It's the most fun I've had. With I love talking to actual cops and or, or friends who are friends yes. with actual cops, and and their reaction to it is always the same. They're like, it's well, number one, it's absolutely brilliant. But number two, it's so yeah. it's so close to the, the reality. I know this is what, and I can kind of get that with some of the other characters in the office and stuff. But it always worries me when I meet cops and they go, "Who's your insider? <laughs> Who do you, how do you, who's giving you all this information?" Because I'm going, "Well, but my character's insane. He's yep. just, <laughs> he's completely he's completely mad." But what is very interesting is how often life imitates art you know and we'll end up doing a sketch like we did a sketch where you know uh, smugglers had dumped cocaine into the you know the the north sea of stonehaven and all the fish get jazzed up and you know <laughs> i've seen a prawn punching a cord honest to god all this kind of stuff and the and the, the seals flipping flipping crabs like they're juggling balls about a month later, you know, there's the, 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 every rubber being tested and Bren has cocaine in it. And, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's all been flushed in the loot. And so many times you get things like that that happen, you know. And the apology sketch was one that, you know, everyone quotes as well that, you know, it's everybody now has to apologize for every single thing that you say. You got you, you be so careful, you know. And you see politicians having to do yeah. it all the time. You know, they're just being hauled yeah. out. You know, to, just go say sorry. Just go from say memory. Sorry. If the chief had started his apology and then just cut it off, it would have been fine. But he just carries on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And everything he says, he has to apologise to to somebody else. You know, because he's it's the blind leading the blind. Cut to you know. I'd like to apologise to the blind community. You know, and I hope my apology doesn't fall on deaf ears. Ah, oh, cut to you know. It's just it's like there's nothing you could say anymore. Have any any of the the senior police Scotland? Officers ever get in touch with you to, to sort of compliment you on it or or kind of yes uh, well I actually met one of them um, I went along and I did a quick speech at the Scottish Bravery Awards for the police and and so I sat beside Living- Livingston, Livingston yes the current current yeah Livingston yeah the current guy and and again he was just like where are you getting this information. <laughs> 
And so I'm just sitting beside you. I'm just listening to you, you know? Um, I think he's reasonably well regarded. I don't want to, I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to go too yes. close to the one. No, I think he is because, yeah, a lot of things, there was a time when there was a turnover yeah. of, you know, I would start to react by going, I'll be brief because I'll be out of my job yeah. in three minutes because <laughs> they were just getting sacked and retired. Yeah, okay, one or two of his predecessors probably were in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. I think you get the impression that Livingston kind of steadied yeah. the ship a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he did. I think he did. I think he did. And I know that, I mean, I don't run the, the Chief's Twitter account, um, the, the, the writers do that, but some of the, the, I can't remember which one, but a previous Chief would get in touch directly, yeah. you know, and go, can you not do the joke about there being no women in the police force? Our current, you know, maybe you could let people know that we're, we're hiring women, it's a great rate, and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You're going, well, it's not really that, that's your job. <laughs> Our job is to say the best out of you, not... <laughs> I want to talk about a show in Edinburgh. So it's called Nothing But, and yes. it, it is Gilda Balloon at the museum, August three to nineteen. So excited to get yeah. back to. Yeah, no, I'm really good. It's a show I'm bringing back. I did it last year in the Distanced uh, Festival, which was as soon as I heard there was going to be even any kind of festival last year, I thought I've just got to do something. Yeah, because you know, you know, everybody's jobs just falling off a cliff, and no one had worked for so long, and it was just great to you know to try and get an audience back out there. But we had to do distance, so there'd be little clumps of two seats. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. So 140 seats, it would just be 70. And you had to keep the back door open so that the light would come in, and that's odd when you're performing. Yeah. That there's a, a, yeah, it's right outside. And you had to have the fan on to whirl around all the COVID <laughs> and move out the back door. <laughs> so it had its challenges, you know. And every night I was doing whatever, 7 to 8 o'clock or something, I can't remember. And every night at 20 past 7, the guys came to pick up all the bottles from the recycling <laughs> Just because we were getting to the emotional bit, I knew there was going to be stumbling. <laughs> but it worked. But it, it was a show. It's the first time I've tried to do a show that it's a yeah. comedy, but it's got serious bits, you know? It's, it's all the rage at the moment. And so it just started. I wanted to bring it back and do it in a. So I toured it around Scotland earlier this year. And then I did a week at the Sobo Theatre in London, which was great fun. Um, well, I thought, well, let's let's bring it back and uh, do it in the museum, which is you know a, a theatre with good audio visual because there's lots of projections and that kind of stuff involved in the story. Just to do it, you know, not properly, but you know what yeah. I mean, in a, in, a, in a festival that's yes. back to hopefully back to its best, and just hopefully there's still enough people out there who haven't already seen it. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm, <laughs> or well, to see that, it but it gives you, know? gives you an opportunity, as you said, to to do it in Edinburgh as was intended, rather than to have you know the exactly. limited audience. Exactly. And it's a show. It's a show about doing a show at Edinburgh yeah. as well. It's a show about me trying to get in touch with a woman I had a one night stand with over thirty years ago, with the festival as a backdrop. So it's a kind of it's a kind of riff on rom coms and all that kind. Of. Mm stuff and it's it's about searching for what you've lost and then finding something else along the way because it, it then becomes a play about me finding my daughter right. instead so okay. that's a, it, sounds, it sounds really fascinating it sounds, sounds brilliant but did this one night stand actually happen or is it a fictional one or, if you, or maybe you don't want to talk about that it's well the, the clues in the title nothing but the truth the whole truth and nothing but oh, the truth but the question is how much of this show is true and i've never actually said and that's what's really interesting as people come and they go out going, it can't be true. Because because the character I'm playing, Jack Doherty in inverted commas, is not a very nice guy. <laughs> he comes he does some terrible things. And um it's kind of vain and hopeless and arrogant and all that kind of all the stuff of comedy. And um, but he's still kind of it's funny because the audience still root for him, you know, these things, you know, we often do, we root for the bad guys. Um so all I'll say is, is some of it's true. 
So I, I just know I'm never going to say the extent. I think it's fun for the audience to try and work out which bits are true, which bits are. And after Edinburgh, are you continuing with the tour? Are you taking it elsewhere? Uh, no, no plans yet. But um, apart from Amsterdam, <laughs> for some reason I'm doing Amsterdam uh, in November, and I'd like to. It's a show I love doing, so I might do some more with it. We talked a bit about maybe taking it to Australia, so maybe we'll do that. Um, I'm sort of at the stage now where. When you're starting out at the festival, it's all about really trying to make your mark and hopefully doing stuff that's going to, you know, get your career going. And when you're my age, you're just looking for the thing that's going to be maximum fun. I didn't want to bring age up, but um, I'm right in saying this, you're in your 60th year. Yes, I just turned 60. Can you fucking (laughs) believe it? That's just, I know. What happened? What just happened? But you've crammed yeah. an awful lot in since the 18-year-old 18, 18 yeah. at first. And, and I've only just begun, man. I've only just begun. Come on. As far as big projects are concerned, you're obviously talking about potentially taking the stage show overseas and down under yeah. and so on. Are you allowed to tell us about potential, you know, future Scott squads or, or so on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing more Scott squads uh, in the autumn. So they are, he's, they're coming back. Brilliant. The whole gang's back together oh, again. Um, so that's fun. And then I'm doing a, a documentary for New Year's Eve uh, on 100 years of, of Scottish comedy. Wow. So hopefully that's going to be fun. That's going to have a lot of um, the history and all, all the greats in that. And, um, and also this one that I'm doing at the festival, nothing but a couple of uh, TV companies came to see it in, uh, in London and they're talking about whether we could, there's some way of adapting it for, for television. So that would be exciting. So we'll see. Oh, so lots on the go. That sounds great. So, there's, yeah, there's there's plenty on the go. There's plenty on the go. So, hundred years of Scottish comedy. Well, that that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't started it yet. They just asked me if I would be. Are you hoping to try and you know get likes of Billy Connolly on the on the show? Or I don't. I've yet to speak to the to the producers. I think there will be interviews um, with lots of and a lot of clips. Uh, obviously, if I've got anything to do with, it, there'll be lots of clips of me. <laughs> 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 I'll be sitting there going, and here's, uh, here's McLash. But um, but no, so it's it's very early days in that one. We'll be, we'll be hooking up the production company after the festival. Right, okay. At which point I'd be able to tell right, you more. Okay. But um, at this point, it's just a, it's a it's it, you know it's it's not it's not nailed down yet. But um, it should be fun. So tell me how people listening to this they want to go and see Jack Doherty, Edinburgh Fringe, nothing. But how do they go about it? What's the simplest way? Simplest way, just go via the Gilded Balloon website or the Edinburgh Festival website, the Finch website, and tickets will be available there. Opening on Wednesday, Wednesday third and the fourth are previews. Previews are half price because it's basically, it's the same show as the regular show, except it might have mistakes. <laughs> Do you know what uh, what time of the day? Yes, it's eight o'clock. It's eight o'clock in the... The museum of the gilded balloon. That's a, yeah. that, that's, a, that's a great time. That's when the big guns all, all the, the put their shows on at eight o'clock. I'm learning. I'm, I'm at half past yeah. four in the afternoon, so I will get a look. <laughs> but nothing wrong with half past four. <laughs> Morning or afternoon, <laughs> That's a good point. Well, I'll be coming to see you then. I'll be available to see you. But it would be fantastic. It would be fantastic. Jack, we're running yeah. rapidly out of time. I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure having no you on. I'm looking forward to, to coming to see you. a pleasure talking and, to you, man. Uh, Good luck with that. Yes, thanks, and good luck with all the projects that you've got coming up. And um, looking forward to seeing the chief back in his seat, running Scotland again. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks a lot, Jack. Take care. I'll see you then with with our heads in our hands, probably. I'll buy you a pint. Why why do we do this? (laughs) I'll I'll look forward to buying you a pint. Thanks very much, mate. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye.